So we were, uh, last time we were in 1 Samuel, Israel was determined to have their own king, uh, and there's nothing wrong with Israel wanting to have a king. The problem was they just wanted the wrong king, uh, and God uh, allowed them to have that. And today we're going to see, um, today in this story, we're going to see the very beginnings of the story of Saul uh, in the Bible. Um, and today we're going to see all kinds of behind-the-scenes things that God did to give Israel uh, the bad king. And, and through it, we're going to see some, some amazing things, some things about ourselves, which may be a little uncomfortable, but we're also going to see some amazing things about God, which is that even though God knows all about how stubborn and spiritually blind we are, He still loves us and He cares for us anyways. <laughs> Amen? So let's pick up the story at 1 Samuel 9. And warning, when we're preaching through narrative books of the Bible, sometimes there's big story blocks that you just can't really break up. So today's, today's a, long, a big, long reading. There's going to be two or three like this as we go through the book. So let's just sit tight. I'm not going to ask you to stand for this. Uh, but let's just listen together uh, to God's inerrant and holy word. Amen? Okay, here we go. 1 Samuel uh, chapter... 9, 10 through 16, or 9, 1 through 10, 16. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechorath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he, From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And so Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, passed through the land of Shalishah, and he did not find them. He passed through the land of Sha'alim, but they were not there. Then he passed through the land of Benjamin and did not find them. And when he came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps, we can, he, perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. And then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone. There's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. And formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Samuel said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered, he is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry. He's come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. And as soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. And now go up and you will meet him immediately. And so they went up to the city. And, they, and as, they enter, as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place. 
Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hands of the Philistines. For I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Well, then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all the desirable, is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? And Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite, the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Well, then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. And so the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you. Eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. And so Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. And then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he is passed on, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. And then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? And then you, you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor, and three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three goats, the other carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. And after that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp and tambourine and flute and lyre before them prophesying. And then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and a sacrifice, and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. And when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day 
when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. And Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And so Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had not had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, we pray that it would show us what we are like, um, how we tend to seek uh, salvation in our own power and strength and in human ways, but that what you are looking for is the heart, Lord. And so we pray that you would help us to see that and help us to see the beauty of Jesus and the salvation that we have in him. And we pray, Lord, that you give us minds to understand and hearts to obey your perfect word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at least we got that done. Sometimes, sometimes the be- or really the best part of any sermon is the scripture reading. You know, that's right. Anything I say could be dicey, but at least, <laughs> at least we, get the ser- we get the passage done. We at least we've got that accomplished for the day. So that was a long one. Um, but it's a whole story. And um, as I've been reading the story, reading through the whole story of Saul, which goes over a couple of chapters, my mind kept going back to the story of Anakin Skywalker. There seems to be all these crazy parallels between them. Uh, one of the most heart-wrenching scenes in the Star Wars movie is between Anakin and Obi-Wan. It's on, in the third movie at the end after Obi-Wan and, and Anakin battle on the planet of Mustafar and Anakin is defeated. Uh, and in his dismay, really his confusion, really in his just overall just disgust and, and, and unbelief at how things had turned out. Uh, there's this exchange between Obi-Wan and Anakin as Anakin is lying on the ground next to the lava. Uh, and, and Obi-Wan says, you were the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them. You would bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness. And Anakin looks up at his mentor and his best, what was, who was his best friend, and he says, I hate you. And Obi-Wan, shocked by that, you can almost sense the tears coming in his eyes, he says, Anakin, you were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. You know, the thing that makes that scene so brutal and so tragic, and what was so confusing was the shocking difference, the disparity between what everyone hoped and prayed and thought Anakin would be based on how naturally talented he was and what actually happened, how he ended up actually turning out. Just the shock of that difference. The great tragedy of Anakin was that he started out with so much promise. As far as just raw natural ability goes, he was the very best. 
but he had one small and fatal flaw. And that was that at the end, everything would come crashing down around him because ultimately under all that power, he had a bad heart. In the end of the day, Anakin was really all about Anakin. And his fear turned to anger, his anger turned to hate, his hate turned to suffering. And the heart that started with so much promise ended up crashing and burning in the most awful way. And the same is true of the story of Saul. Saul starts out with so much promise. In the beginning of his story, uh, in the beginning of his story, there's all kinds of victory and, and, and God uses him in these amazing ways. And so really when we get farther along in the book and we read about the crash and burn of Saul at the end of the day, what makes that so tragic is how promising his beginning was. He was the best that Israel had and everyone was putting their hopes in that. And so today, uh, as we look at... Um, the story of Saul at the beginning, how he started with so much promise, we're going to learn that all the talent in the world cannot overcome a bad heart. But God can do amazing things with people who just trust in Jesus. And that's the big idea. All the talent in the world cannot overcome a bad heart. But God can and will do amazing things through people who just trust in Jesus. So let's look at that one part at a time. First, that all the talent in the world cannot overcome a bad heart. In boxing, uh, we have this term called heart, which really means that kind of internal strength that allows you to keep fighting even when you're on the downside, even when the odds are against you, when you're being beat. The, the ability to stay in the ring and continue to fight is, is, is the term called heart. Uh, and one of the f- most famous boxing matches in the history of the sport was uh, Mike Tyson versus Evander Holyfield II. And the reason it was such a famous bout was because Iron, Iron Mike Tyson was considered to be unbeatable. He was so strong. He had so much natural talent and so much ability. There was a big stretch of time where there just wasn't anybody who could compete with him. And he seemed to be, based on that, invincible up until the point when he met a real challenge in the face of Evander Holyfield, uh, somebody he could not intimidate, somebody that he did not believe the hype. And when Mike came under that kind of pressure, uh, he, he fell apart. Under pressure, he got scared, and we couldn't intimidate Evander Holyfield. You know what he did? He bit his ear off. <laughs> he bit his ear off in the ring bit it twice, he folded under the pressure and he got dirty. Uh, Mike had all the physical strength and natural talent in the world, but when he came under pressure, what he didn't have was heart. It revealed what he was really like on the inside. And now, I want you to listen. Listen to how this story starts and listen to how the narrator introduces Saul. He says this. He says, and Kish, that's his dad, I'm going to, I'm going to, supplement this. Kish, it says, was a man of wealth. Really, probably a better translation of that is a man of, of, uh, a man of great power, is the literal translation of the Hebrew. He's a strong, powerful man. His father was. So fa- and Kish, Saul's father, was a strong pow- who was a strong, powerful man, had a son whose name was Saul. He was a handsome young man, 
There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. You know what the narrator is doing, what he's leading? He's leading with all of those physical, human characteristics that Saul had. Just like Anakin, just like Iron Mike, Saul was the very best that Israel had. Really that second, when it says um, the second time that there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome. It really means there was not a better man in all of Israel. He was the best. As far as outward appearance go, as far as his physical strength. And yet, and so Israel puts all of his hope in the, Saul's appearance and his human strength, but what they can't see is his heart. And the story gives us all these little subtle clues that heart, Saul's heart is not in the right place. It's his servant that has to bring up the idea of going to see the man of God. Saul isn't even able to recognize the man of God. He's basically clueless in all these spiritual things. Uh, it's a signal that underneath all that strength, there is a fatal flaw just waiting for the right kind of pressure to fail. And ultimately we see in the story he does, right? And that's why, that's why bad, the bad heart with all that power can still bring down the whole ship because of pressure, right? Eventually you'll come against something that's bigger than you can handle and when that happens, if your trust isn't squarely in God, meaning that if you're not content with his providence, however it may turn out, trusting in him, knowing it's going to be better no matter what, uh, and just worrying about keeping our integrity if our trust isn't squarely in God like that, when we come up against pressure or, 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 we'll end up, or we come up against <sighs> trying to force our will against God's will, when pressure hits, we'll get dirty. We compromise. We'll lie. We'll rationalize the lies. We'll cheat. Uh, and become just like the nations, which is what Israel did. That's what really idol worship looks like. It's, it's integrity sacrificed on the altar to get what we think we want and think we need. And the bad news, the really bad news, is that when we resort to that, to getting dirty, we start working against God's providence instead of with it, and that's always a bad idea. So it doesn't, here, what this saying about Saul is it doesn't, ultimately, it doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how handsome you are. It doesn't matter how strong you may be. It doesn't matter if you are a great athlete. It doesn't matter if you are more intelligent than everyone, ultimately. It doesn't matter how gifted for ministry you are. All the talent in the world and all the human power in the world will not overcome a bad heart. Eventually, pressure will hit that we cannot handle and it'll fail. But, second point. Second point, all the talent in the world can't overcome a bad heart, but God can do amazing things. This really, this story is, is, is showing us like kind of a behind the scenes of like how God is working. I used to go, um, well, I used to, uh, uh, used to do a lot of speaking at um, a county detox facility and, and uh, 
one day the night before I went to do my normal, my normal um, meeting at the County Detox for v- Volunteers of America County Detox, which I was a thir- three-time alumni of um, and distinguished graduate, class of uh, 86, 2002 and 2004, praise God. <laughs> I used to go back there. Um, one time, the night before I went, I went on a long drive went with Bri- my friend Brian White. Most of you know Brian White one of our elder candidates, he was speaking at another facility called Freedom Ranch way out in East County. And as we drove out to this place, uh, we started talking. He ended up telling me this story about a good friend of his named Gary, who is the best man at his wedding. Uh, and that Gary uh, had gotten sober, but then slipped into like a devastating sexual addiction, which then led to a relapse into drugs and alcohol. Uh, he told me, just laid out this guy's entire story to me as we drove out to Freedom Ranch and back, just in random conversation. And so I go to the next morning to do my, my regular deal at the VOA, and maybe it's because I was hanging out with Brian, but I told one of his stories, which I never did. I had a, when you do that every week, you probably get your, you know, your routine down, you pretty much share your story, the same thing every week. But I went into the VOA center, and I, went, I just off the cuff, I talked about my friend Brian White, and how he had, uh, you know, the last time he was thrown in jail on his third strike, <laughs> pastoral staff, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> he got thrown into the, the tank and he cried. And he wasn't crying because he was thrown into jail. He was crying because he knew that as soon as they let him out, it was going to start all over again and there was nothing he could do to stop it. And uh, the Lord met him eventually and saved him from all that, right? But I'm telling this story, and I see this, this guy on the group, and he starts kind of shaking and looking at me and just tr- shaking his coffee. Uh, and he comes up to me afterwards, and he goes, he goes look, man, I, uh, I got here this morning. I'm super shaky. I, I prayed to God this morning, and I asked him for one thing. I asked him if he would put me in touch with my, the best man from my wedding named Brian White, and I need to know if you're talking about the same guy. And I looked at him, I said, you must be Gary. <laughs> Jaw drop. Jaw drop. Now I'll tell you that story. I want you to think about, I want you to think about all the, the crazy behind the scenes orchestration that God had to do to make that all come into place to be present for that guy, that one lonely, broken guy in a detox facility. All the crazy behind the stuff. We, I was just driving out to East County with Brian. I had no idea what was going on until that guy came up with me. And the same thing in this story is true of Saul. Uh, he thinks that he's just going out looking for some donkeys. But there's a whole other plan going on that God is just walking him into. Listen, at verse 15, and then I'm going to skip down to 22. He says, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. Skipping down to 22. So then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them the place uh, at the head of those who had been invited, that party that it's talking about. So look, so God tells Samuel that Saul's coming, but there's even, there's more than that. We know from passages in the book of, of uh, Joshua and also passages in the book of Second Kings that, that that dinner, that sacrifice that they're holding is a coronation ball. 
Saul has behind the scenes orchestrated the beginning. All this event uh, invited the guests, had the meal prepared, had the cook hold the, 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 the best portion of the meal aside for the guest of honor who is Saul, who hasn't even met yet. Sidebar, let's talk about Samuel's faith in that for a minute, right? God's, he hears from God, dude's coming tomorrow. And he's like, he puts together a 30-person royal coronation ball, which was a necessary prerequisite to the anointing to make Saul king over Israel. And all of that happened behind the scenes. He, the narrator gives us that backside, and we can see it, but Saul's got no idea. He's just looking for some donkeys. Right? And he walks into the kingship of Israel. Look, you know, why, you know why that's so important for us? There's a lot of reasons why that's super important for us. But you know what FOMO is? Who taught me this? Jasmine, did you teach me what FOMO is? No? I think maybe you were the example somebody gave me what FOMO. Because uh, FOMO means fear of missing out, right? And there's a Christian version of fear of missing out where Christians are terrified that they are going to miss God's will in their lives or they're going to make a wrong turn or not make the right decision or forget something or not lace their shoe up in the right way on Thursday morning at the right time and they're going to miss God's best will for their lives. But this says that God is providentially supernaturally in all of his power and intelligence and ability and, and providence, he is working all of those, th- all the things out in our lives to the good. Uh, and so I think we get, I'm going to coin a new word, no FOMO. How about that? I have a friend who wrote a song called Froyolo, where he took Froyo and Yolo and put them together to make the song Froyolo. I think it's a brilliant, I think it's a philosophical comment of the, of the, uh, <laughs> the, the emptiness of the philosophy of, of Yolo. Maybe it's not that complicated, but let's say, <laughs> I think we get a term, no FOMO. No fear of missing out because you can't and you're not going to miss out. The whole matrix of cause and effect that God is controlling underneath the surface of all things uh, that we don't have the capacity to even understand and, we're not, and the point is we're not supposed to. We don't have to. You have to go out and look for donkeys and as you do that, God's promising that he's going to work everything out into your life for the good, which for the most part means sanctifying us and, doing, and, and creating situations in our lives of adversity and this and that to build our character to be more like Jesus so that we become beautiful like he is. That is God's will for us. Amen. So next time that you think you are doing something and you're like, this is a complete and total waste of my time, maybe you're out looking for donkeys and God is about to do some amazing thing. And all we have to do in that is, is, is trust him, really, to be content with his providence, however it may turn out, and knowing that his providence is better for us, and all we need to do is worry about our integrity. Third part, people who trust in Jesus. The first part was, all the talent in the world can't overcome a bad heart, Second, but God can do amazing things. Third part, 
with people who trust in Jesus. The most confusing part of this whole story, the part I had the hardest time like wrapping my mind around as I was studying it this week, uh, is this. It's verses 16 and 17. Listen to what, listen to what it says. It says, tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the land hand of the Philistines for I have seen my people because for I've seen my, I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here's the man whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Now that last verse is pretty easy to understand, right? We know that God, that Israel has demanded that God give them the wrong king. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that sometimes God will give you what you want to get the experience of seeing that he is smarter than we are, right? And so this is the, the, the context of this, is God is giving his people the wrong king. That's what it means by restrain. He's going to use, this wrong king is going to constrain them, really uh, it saw, or Samuel warns the people that this king is going to enslave them and take from them. He's going to restrain them. That's easy to understand. The hard part, though, is the part that comes before that where it says, and he shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. And I kept reading that over and over again. I was like, what? Uh, that sounds like a salvation passage. That sounds like the, the, well, the series in the Judges where God heard the cry of his people and sent a deliverer who's a picture of Jesus, really. And yet here, I, this, is not, this is God's judgment. God's giving them the wrong king. And I'm just rolling. I could not get it in my mind because it just didn't make sense that God would be saving these people, these foolish, stubborn, reckless people at the same time that he was giving them the wrong king. You know, but it's only confusing because of how our hearts tend to think about God. I think that if I am in judgment mode, that God's mercy automatically stops. If I am, if God is allowing, is disciplining me, that that means his mercy is temporary at least curtailed and I'm being punished basically by God. That's what I think. So you know what this says? It's really simple when you, when you, when we, when you think about it, when we get it. The truth is and, and why it is that he says in the middle of all this he shall save my people that he uses Saul of all people to save them from the hand of the Philistines is, is that these foolish, stubborn, and reckless people never stop being the object of God's mercy. <laughs> they never stop being the objects of God's mercy. He continues to love them and to save them even in the midst of the discipline. And well, you know what that means for us? <laughs> For us who are stubborn and reckless and um, foolish at times, for us who find ourselves running after our own idols, that means that when we do that, you never stop being an object of God's mercy. 
You never stop being an object of God's love. Paul says almost the same thing in Romans chapter 5, where he says, well, he says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? You know what he just called us? (laughs) He said we are weak, ungodly, sinners, and we're enemies of God when he saved us. And if that was our state, when Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins and to save us, how much more will God continue to love us and have his mercy never end now that we are his adopted children? That's the point, right? I think, you know, we think about a lot of sermons might look at this passage and say the big lesson here is don't be like Saul. But I don't think that's true. I think the lesson here is that we're all a lot more like Saul than we want to admit. The reality is we trust in our own power all the time. And when the pressure hits that overwhelms us, we often get scared and compromise our integrity before we eventually turn to God and trust in Him. And so I think the big lesson for this passage is what you and what I, what all of us need to know more than anything is that when that happens, you never stop being an object of God's mercy. You never have to run from God or be ashamed or think that He has stopped loving you. But He is, even in the midst of all that, shaping you and blessing you, disciplining you, for sure, but loving us in that so that we can stay right there in the pocket with him through whatever happens in life. And really, that's the only way that we'll be able, that's the only way, the best way that, that gets us to the place where we are able to trust him sooner and sooner and eventually trust him first. Amen? Look, okay. Concluding, epilogue. I'm going to give a quick epilogue. On the one hand, Right, this says that we're saying that no amount of talent or natural ability can overcome a bad heart, right? But that also means the, con- the converse of that is true, right? Um, the opposite of that, the reverse of that is true, meaning that uh, it means this. At the very end, there's this, this story where uh, Saul prophesies and, and it becomes a proverb, right? Is Saul also among the prophets? Basically what's happening there at the end, is that these people who knew Saul well, they knew all about Saul, and him like prophesying was so completely unlikely and improbable that it became a proverb for meaning a saying. Whenever anything super unlikely or super improbable happened, people would be like, is Saul also among the prophets? Like, the Padres are going to win the World Series. People would be like, is Saul also among the prophets? Or people who like knew me in high school. Rob Novak is a pastor. Is Saul also among the prophets? Uh, Here's the point. And this is what I want to leave stuck in your heads. God delights 
in doing crazy impossible things with unlikely people. And so just as no amount of talent or natural ability can overcome a bad heart, what that means is you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the most beautiful. You don't have to be the strongest. All you have to do is be the one who is most sold out for God and the purposes of God. And he can and will do amazing things through you and through us to advance his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the beauty of your word. Again, it tells us awful things about ourselves. We are constantly running to counterfeit gods. We're constantly telling ourselves what we need to be happy in contradiction to God's word. Uh, and pressure hits, our hearts fail, and we come, we come moping back to you. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that you have let us know without a doubt in your word today by the power of your spirit that you never stop loving us, that we are never, we never stop being the objects of your mercy and affection and that your salvation is being poured out upon us to glorify your name for purposes way beyond us. And so in that, Lord, we pray that you would help us to stick with you And when our hearts fail us, Lord, to know that you are greater than our hearts and that we can be with you and pray and stay with you, Lord. And we pray that in that process, as we practice that, you would help us to return sooner and sooner until we learn the discipline of trusting in you first, Lord. Never going to do it perfect, but we pray you would help us to do it a little bit better this week and as we continue to walk this road together as a church family as we wait for you to return. So we love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.